Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show we're talking about some animals that you should not have as a pet unless you want to become extremely dead. From innocent-looking beach beauties to our lovable, goofy, and deadly cousins, these creatures would sooner destroy you than cuddle. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, when does a kangaroo become your king of doom? Joining me today is the internet's zoologist, TikTok star, and author of the book 100 Animals That Can F***ing End You, Mamadou. Welcome! Hi, I just want to say that was uh, your radio voice. Just That was amazing. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I want to be able to do that one day. Uh, but thanks for having me. This is uh, really exciting. <laughs> You're very welcome. That's about it for my radio voice. The rest of the show is just in my normal voice because... Uh, I don't have written out for me what I say. So yeah, I love your content. I love how you make evolutionary biology relatable, exciting, fun, and scary. It's uh, it's definitely the kind of thing I'm super into. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. My whole thing with uh, what I do is I kind of wanted to make the type of content that I myself as a kid would have really liked. Um, not for uh, people that don't necessarily watch the hour-long documentaries or they're not exactly Animal Planet like junkies the way I was, uh, they can still get something out of the content because of just the way I present information. I feel like it's entertaining, it's funny, but you can also come away and 
with it and learn something and you know have a bunch of things you can like take to your friends and start conversations and you know just being able to foster an interest in the environment the way that i do yeah i think that's kind of the main goal of like the platform that i have and that's been going pretty well so far i think it's the absolute best use of tiktok because tiktok's very addictive uh, but I love just having these little like little cookies of information that you get. And there it is. It does remind me of when I was a kid and I'd watch Animal Planet. One of my favorite shows, I think, was like the world's most extreme. And they do like a countdown of the most extreme animals. And that was always so fun. You know, I watched that show religiously. Me too. Uh, just every day after school. And it was like, it was so exciting for me. And so I love how you capture that excitement of like looking at some of the most intense animals that, that blow your mind that they even exist. Honestly, yeah. Even if you watch that show and you watch my content, you could definitely see like uh, where I like took inspiration from it. Like that show was a uh, uh, as a kid, I wasn't really allowed to watch TV on the weekdays. That was the rule. But I was able to get around that because Animal Planet, Discovery Channel, it's technically educational. Yes. So um, I was able to get away with it there. <laughs> so I was watching the most extreme all the time. I had, I even had blank CDs and I had my mom burn like episodes on the disc so I yes. could just watch it whenever. Yeah, I, I love that show. We would have been friends in school because, yeah, that I was all <laughs> about that show. That was amazing. And so today we are doing kind of the most extreme animals in terms of how surprisingly deadly they are. I mean, these are not the deadliest animals in the world or the most dangerous. These are animals that you would not think are as dangerous as they really are. Animals that we love, that look innocent, that look beautiful and definitely mm -hmm. don't seem like they would pack the punch that they really do. Yeah, definitely. I feel like everyone can easily identify what animals are dangerous, the lions, the tigers, the bears. But a, a lot of times it's these animals that people like kind of take for granted that uh, people just assume because they're cute, um, they kind of put human characteristics onto them. They anthropomorphize them. And to be fair, I do that a lot in my yeah. videos, but I feel like when people like take that like out into the real world, that's when people like really get hurt. Like, I, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I know the animal that causes the most like injuries um, in America, more than like the cougars and the bears, it's like bison. Yeah. Because people will walk right up to these bison, these 2000 pound bison, because they're like docile. They're pretty calm around people. If you like respect their space, people will go right up to them and take pictures of them. And then at least once a year, somebody gets to get sent to the hospital because they get gored. And just things like that is like, um, it's fun to like uh, freak people out with animal facts, but just also to like make people aware that, you know, these are still wild animals. And, you know, you wouldn't say like that, an ad, like an animal went crazy. It just did what it's just it being an animal. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And I think there is this misconception that herbivores are harmless, that only carnivores you have to worry about. But herbivores have a tough life, they have to defend themselves. And so, they're some of the most dangerous animals can be herbivores. I mean, like hippos are much more dangerous than lions and they're herbivores, but they are much more aggressive, much more dangerous. You're much more likely to be injured by a hippo than you are by a lion. And it is, yeah, it is, it's just respecting nature, um, not always thinking you can like stroll right up to an animal, pick it up, touch it. Uh, without there being consequences. Definitely. Uh, something I would always say is that like when you're dealing with a carnivore, you have to you just convince it that you're not worth the calories. <laughs> uh, but for a herbivore, it assumes that you're trying to kill it. So it's trying to come after you first. Like moose, that's why moose are like a pretty big problem. Like 
more so than bears and wolves and cougars. It's the herbivores, like you said, like moose and bison and uh, even like deer. Mm-hmm. A lot, there are a lot of people in the hospital and a deer sent them there. So, you know, yeah. it's just uh, understanding that these animals have been around for like millions of years. They have developed these like ways to survive in like pretty harsh climates. And well, they're not exactly they're not like you, you can respect them from like a distance. But once you like enter like their like environment, you can be conceived as a threat. And that's, that's where things get bad for people. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's all about respect. You always have to respect Mm -hmm. nature, respect deer, and and they won't, they won't come hunt you down, find you. Uh, (laughs) But yeah. So first we are going to talk about an animal that looks very harmless. Uh, In fact, like you may be on the beach, spot one of these and think literally nothing of it other than it's pretty and something that maybe you would want to collect as a beachcomber, but you should never do that because they're extremely dangerous. And uh, these are the cone snails. They're one of my uh, favorite surprise dangers. Um, I remember learning about these a long time ago and just being horrified at the idea of them. So cone snails are a group of beautiful marine mollusks with these spectacular cone-shaped shells. And there are many different species. There's over 900 species. They're found in warm tropical waters all over the world. And they they look innocent, right? Oh, they definitely do. And I feel like just snails in general are just something uh, cartoons teach a lot of people that snails are like harmless and slow and just, but these cone snails, one thing about them is they are, they are incredibly venomous. But it's not just one toxin. A lot of cone snails have different combinations of toxins, up to 50. And like you said, there's 900 different types of cone snails. So there isn't one specific venom that one uses. That's why if you get stung, there is really no anti-venom. All they can really do is manage your symptoms and keep you from like, you know, like flatlining. But yeah. And to be fair, like uh, the chances of you dying from a cone snail with like immediate medical attention, you're probably going to be fine. But like all they can really do is manage your symptoms and keep you breathing because there's just so many toxins that they use. And another thing is they are ironically one of the fastest things on the planet. I don't mm-hmm. know the exact number, uh, but uh, they strike faster than you can blink. They are incredibly fast because they obviously they can't move. So like whenever a, a prey item like a fish gets anywhere near them, they have like a split second to like just ensnare them and just engulf them. So that's what like if you're anywhere near them and you think like they really they can strike you faster than you even have time to recognize what's going on. So, yeah. And, and it's incredibly painful that no one wants to deal with that. So, yeah, cone snails, <laughs> you see them on yeah. the beach. Do not do not pick do them not up. pick them. Up. And that's well, the problem, yeah. right? Because they're so colorful. And a lot of people take that as a sign to pick them up. Their yeah. color is designed to tell you not to pick them yeah. up because anything that isn't trying to actively hide from you, there's a pretty big reason for that. Like the poison dart frogs, the, the, the color, they're not trying to camouflage. There's a reason why they're like standing out so much. So yeah, yeah aposematism, yeah. Do not pick them up. Yeah, aposematism yeah. is when an animal has a bright color or pattern that is a warning to potential predators that it is toxic, uh, poisonous, uh, or venomous. And uh, yeah, these cone snails are indeed very venomous. And like you said, you know, they move slowly in terms of locomotion, but they are able to strike extremely quickly, like some kind of gunslinger. And they are not like your typical innocent little snail, marine snail. They are predatory carnivores and they are armed to the teeth. In fact, that 
uh, that injection of venom mm. that they do is a modified tooth that was is turned into a harpoon. And it literally looks like a miniature harpoon, like a man-made harpoon, just like tiny. Mm -hmm. It's hollow and it is attached to a venom snack and it shoots that out, like you said, at an incredible speed. Uh, it sticks into its victim, it injects the venom and it uses this for both hunting and for self-defense. So when it's hunting, this is great because it basically uh, just ambushes its victim with this harpoon. It paralyzes it with these many, like th these conotoxins, like you said, many, many different compounds. That's mm -hmm. why it's, we don't have a good anti-venom. But a lot of these toxins are designed to like incapacitate its prey. So it basically, you know, just like freezes the prey. And then that allows it to engulf it and eat it and get that business done. And I love, there's this technical name of the harpoon, which I actually just learned researching for this called the Toxoglossin radula. It's, uh, it's, yeah, a, it's a nice name. I, I didn't know that was the full name. <laughs> but yeah, it, it does have certain species of cone snails. Like I, I mentioned earlier, there are many different species, but the larger ones uh, do have enough toxin to potentially kill a human. Now, like you said, it's very rare. The cases where it has killed people, it's like sometimes like a freak thing. Like someone picked up, I think two of them kind of held them up for a photo and they both got them right in the neck and that was fatal. Um, but yeah, you do not. Especially with small children. That's, yes. That's when they, they get the worst of it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The smaller you are, the faster it's going to get through your bloodstream and it's the higher concentration. That's not good. Um, but yeah, even if it's not fatal, it's very painful. So you do not want to, uh, to mess with these guys. So the, the method of action of these conotoxins are like a lot of neurotoxins. Each species has its own fun cocktail of deadly chemicals, but it will sometimes block the receptors of your neural cells or sometimes interfere with nerve channels, which is bad for us in terms of remaining alive uh, or not being in extreme pain. But Interestingly, the cone snails can also use different cocktails depending on the situation. So like defensive harpoonings, the ones that we're probably more likely to receive are going to be designed to be more painful, whereas hunting venom can actually include like pain-killing properties and a paralytic because mm -hmm. they don't want their victim that they're hunting to freak out. They want them to just like go still, become subdued as quickly as possible yeah their whole thing is just uh, just incapacitating you as quickly as possible even if it doesn't necessarily mean killing you it's the same mechanism as uh like box jellyfish or like especially the irukanji which people can automatically identify as dangerous but with the uh box jellyfish uh, they can't afford to have their prey struggle since they might snap one of their tentacles so they're just laced with all these with millions of stinging cells like harpoon like stinging cells that uh, inject this neurotoxin that will paralyze you. That's where the intense pain comes from, just to like have keep their prey from struggling. And it's the same thing with the cone snails, since they really only get one shot to like uh, subdue their prey. If the prey breaks away, then there is no second attempt, and they have to find somebody else. So it's really designed to just uh, just take their prey down as quickly as possible. And that's where like the pain comes in. And that's why, depending on where you get stung, like if you get stung on the hand or the leg. You'll probably be fine with medical attention, but if it is one of those rare cases where you manage to get stung in the neck, that's where you can like, that's where they're 
first of all, that's incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. And once the and once that venom gets anywhere near your heart, like it, that's how you can go into like cardiac arrest. Yeah. But of course, those are like really extreme cases. A lot has to go wrong for it to get to that point. But uh, you still don't want to take that chance. No, no. I mean, like the like you said, even if it's not fatal, the pain alone should be enough to stop you from picking up these guys because it, it's not not mm-hmm. something you. I mean, it's like if you look, I'll include this in the show notes. But if you actually look at that. Um, the, the barb that they shoot out, it, it does, it looks like a tiny weapon and that goes into your yeah. skin. So that is, and then on top of that, the, the painful venom, it's not something you want to mess with, but there are medical uses for these conotoxins because it does uh, interact with neural pathways, with pain pathways, often in a bad way for you if you're stung by one, uh, by modifying these conotoxins, they can actually potentially be um, a pain reliever. So there are studies going on to see, like using, not necessarily, I'm not saying like, hey, it's going to be a pain reliever if you inject yourself with a cone snail's natural toxins. That's not true. But by studying these toxins, figuring out how they work, uh, researchers can actually derive potentially painkillers that would be able to block or interfere with pain receptors, which you know, there may be some discoveries in terms of pain management thanks to the cone snails. Yeah, like you said, it's about uh, just being able to isolate the painkilling properties. It's it's pretty interesting the way all these applications for all these like different venoms that normally you wouldn't want to touch at all. Like uh, I was reading the other day, like with box jellyfish, historically people have been trying to isolate certain properties of their venom to create like a form of Botox mm-hmm. of all things. Like from one of the ven- most venomous things on the planet, people <laughs> trying to use it to, I guess, look younger. So that's always interesting. <laughs> I do. It is something about humans, isn't it? We find something in nature that's like incredibly dangerous or deadly. And it's like, how can we capitalize on this? Like, should I stick this in my hmm. face? Should I put it in my mouth? It's uh Makes you wonder about the first person to ever try that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there are a variety of things that are good like you know like spices and stuff hot peppers and you wonder about the first person who like put that in their mouth ate it and it's like uh oh this is bad or actually maybe good it's funny because i'm pretty sure like the 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 whole reason of behind like the spice of certain things it's to be a deterrent to keep animals from eating them and then we came along we're like oh that's we'll take that we like the pain yeah no that's exactly right that you know, the, the spices of like a hot pepper, it's it's a deterrence for like uh, insects or other animals that would eat the, the peppers. Um, but humans are like, hey, this is great. I love this. Give me more pain. They didn't, these plants did not calculate that humans are so masochistic that we would intentionally inflict delicious pain on our mouths. Yep. And then they have no answer for that, so... <laughs> But we like them so much that it ended up being good for them or, well, I guess neutral for them because we kept a, we, we started cultivating them. So they did end up surviving, at least in a form that uh, that we find delicious and put on our food. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, we're going to talk about a animal that is very jumpy, but that doesn't mean it's intimidated by you. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. 
With our flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So one of the most iconic animals in the world is the kangaroo. And they're, they're such a goofy animal, I think. Like they've got these long ears, these big feet. They hop around. They're associated with Australia. And they're this big marsupial. They're so, they're so strange and funny and wonderful. And cute, too. Like, they've got these kind of cute faces that they see. They don't seem like they would be dangerous. It seems like you could crack open a beer, throw an arm around one, and just have a good time. Yeah, kangaroos, I have a theory, a working theory about kangaroos, and it's that they have gotten cocky. <laughs> Basically, uh, like, Australia doesn't really have a dominant apex, like, a uh, predator, or at least a land predator. I mean, you have, like, dingoes and packs, and you might have large monitor lizards. You have your goannas. But... There isn't like a large big cat or there isn't like anything like that. So these kangaroos are kind of, I guess they're like, they got drunk off success. They didn't really <laughs> earn. Uh, once you get like, especially the big red kangaroos, the ones that can be six feet tall, nothing can really, you know, affect them. So now they just, I don't know. I just see so many videos of kangaroos just starting problems completely yeah. unprovoked. Like they're honestly like what deer are here that's what kangaroos are in australia only they actively seek out cars yeah like i think i read something about maybe nine out of every 10 animal related car accident in kangaroo was caused well in, i said in kangaroo in australia was <laughs> caused by a kangaroo and a lot of times they just walk away from it while your car is just like <laughs> done for so they're um insurance fraud I feel like that in cartoons exactly I, you know what there has to be kangaroo insurance now <laughs> it, it, there's no way they don't 
you, prepare for that kind of thing. I mean, there's Australia is so full of these dangerous animals. I can't imagine they don't have different species, like insurance for many different species. Like this is for kangaroos. This is for getting a koala dropped on your head and scratching your eyes out. There's got to be insurance for everything. There has to be. I mean, even like something like there are brush tail possums, they become like invasive in certain places. And every once in a while, something, a picture will go viral of one just breaking through the wall and yeah. sitting there. Yeah. Like I've, I've seen like pictures of just their paws just hanging out of drywall. Or <laughs> in one case, this was really funny. One broke into like, I think it was a bakery and they found him like in a box in a of box. pastries yes. half eaten and he was just. That you picture can, you can catch me, but it's yeah. it's done. It's the it's uh, I I've already won. You can't take anything from me, for I am victorious. Yeah, I love that picture. That's like I, I feel like that is an embodiment of my attitude sometimes. Where it's like, as long as I have a pastry, no matter what has happened to me that day, it's like if I get some pastries in me, it's like you can't win. Bad luck. Like I won today. I ate a bunch of pastries. And I'm covered in delicious declines. I love it. I love it. Yeah, there was no regret in his eyes at all. None. And I love. I couldn't even see his pupil, but you can see it. No remorse. Remorseless pastry thief. Uh, in my hero. Uh, but yeah. So so kangaroos are. Uh, I love your way of phrasing it. They they have kind of grown too cocky, or maybe cocky enough, because they are the largest mammal in Australia. Uh, they're also the largest macropods. So macropods are these large marsupials like kangaroos, wallabies, and possums. And um, there's actually a recent news story about a man who, quote unquote, owned a kangaroo, uh, was keeping a wild kangaroo as a pet. And this mm. kangaroo actually killed him. And uh, I think that it is, I mean, it's sad. When I hear this, you know, I don't... I feel bad because I, I think that if people were taught more, learn more that like you really, if an animal seems okay, like a wild animal doesn't seem on its surface that dangerous, that does not mean that you can turn it into a pet because that is going to, you know, potentially be quite dangerous for you. Uh, and this is not, this doesn't happen very often. So kangaroo fatalities are relatively rare. The last reported attack was in 1936. Um, so they don't they don't want to murder you, uh, or at least they don't try to murder you that much. I can't say what they want, but uh, they will do it if they feel like they must do it. So, uh, yeah, keeping a wild kangaroo as a pet not a good idea. So this kangaroo that that killed this man was a so. It was a Western gray kangaroo and a male. So males are going to yeah. be, in general, a little more feisty than the females. Females can be feisty, especially when they are protective of their joeys. But males, I think, are the ones that tend to just kind of randomly seek out confrontation. Yeah, see, with male kangaroos, their whole thing is they have harems and they have to fight control of the harem and then uh if you lose then you don't you lose the right to like reproduce so there can be really intense competition even if that competition isn't there that instinct always will be so if it sees you as a threat like it really doesn't take much for a kangaroo to hurt you a lot of people see the cartoons with you know the kangaroo in the boxing ring it's not the punches you have to worry for like what they'll do is they have powerful forearms they'll hold you in place and try to kick you right and they have a long like sharp 
like middle toenail that can easily disembowel you yes. and cut through flesh. They've killed dogs that way, um, especially since dogs are, you know, lower to the ground. So if it, it cuts like a crucial artery, like anywhere near the neck or it, for a human, if it cuts like the femoral artery, yeah. that's where you can get in a whole lot of trouble because you will bleed out. And that's like, that's how they injure each other. Like kangaroo fights aren't just like punching and kicking. They yeah. cause like massive damage to each other where the loser often sometimes just dies, like yeah. just cannot Brutal. recover from those injuries. So that's like, that's why, well, kangaroo attacks on humans are rare when they happen. They can be pretty like catastrophic. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, sometimes you might see like a photo of two kangaroos and it looks like they're hugging. Like, and it's like, oh, cute. They're hugging. No, no, they are having a fight because the males will like, like you said, they'll hold on to each other lean back on these strong, powerful tails and kick and scratch at each other. And they have claws both on their forearms and on their hind legs that they can use. And with extremely powerful kicks and armed with a claw, that can be very, very dangerous. And so like, so the uh, Western gray kangaroos, uh, which I believe are some of the most common kangaroos in Australia, they're fairly large. They can weigh around 150 pounds or 68 kilograms for the males. Females are a little smaller. Um, some have been known to weigh up to 200 pounds or 90 kilograms, but those are sort of the, the big boys. But so much of that weight is like muscle. And so much of that muscle is distributed to their extremely powerful legs. So that is not something you want to mess with. And they are not even the largest kangaroo. You mentioned earlier the um, the red kangaroo, which is the largest kangaroo, uh, and it is quite big. They can be, like you said earlier, six feet tall or 1.8 meters or even taller in, in certain circumstances. They can weigh around 200 pounds or 90 kilograms, and they can run over 37 miles per hour or 60 kilometers an hour, and they have 300-degree vision so if you think that you can escape an angry red kangaroo, it's that you you could not. If they were determined to catch up to you and find you, they definitely would. Yeah, and the scary part is the way their legs are and the way they like uh, move. The they actually expend less energy like the faster they're moving. When they're just when the kangaroos are kind of like at leisure and they're like grazing, uh, they actually spend more energy doing that than when they're in a full out bound going the 35 miles per hour they can like max out at um yeah and with the guy obviously it's like tragic but with like a male kangaroo like the like i said the fights can cause serious injury and no kangaroo wants to deal with that so they have these ways to communicate that they don't want to fight that they're like kind of letting the other guy like you know you're you're the alpha that's fine uh they'll do things like uh they won't make obviously eye contact is usually just bad with any animal yeah especially <laughs> like uh predator based um they'll try to avoid eye contact they'll do this thing where they'll cough like that's kind of like an admission of like submission where you're like basically giving up before you like can potentially get hurt um so i'm guessing with this man he raises kangaroo and a lot of people raise these animals like humans so things that like things like eye contact things like being loud they they're doing that with these animals and eventually if that animal feels threatened and you, you do those same behaviors it's going to see that as a threat no matter what you try to teach it throughout its life. And I'm guessing, I don't know the story with this man, but it feels like 
kangaroo was like standing up to him. The, mm-hmm. the guy was like not backing down, and the kangaroo saw him as a threat and just did what like instinctually they've been doing for like a while. So that's yeah. just it's sad, but those are like reminders that these are wild animals and they don't like not it's only a matter of time before they like revert back to like their actual wild behavior. Right. And we don't speak their language. So like, you know, you see this a lot in in various animals. They don't necessarily want to engage in conflict all the time. They will if they feel that they need to. Uh, But especially with like male on male sort of like rivalries, they will often have this like if the winner is really clear, this is when they can back down from a fight. Like if it's not so clear who would win this fight, then you may have quite a violent fight. But if you have like a male who's like, oh, I cannot take you on and I do not want to fight you. They have a communication system mm-hmm. for that because it is costly to have a, a competition between two males. And yeah, I, I think that probably it sounds about right. Probably what happened, uh, you know, it's like especially if someone raises an animal from a uh, from a baby, like from a young animal, they may be surprised when that animal reaches maturity and their hormones kick in and their behavior suddenly changes because like a mature male is going to be much different from an immature male. I mean, the same thing with female animals in many cases. But yeah, once they reach maturity, their behaviors are going to be quite different and it can be more aggressive because, you know, this is the point at which they have to compete for females and so behaviors you may have had with like a baby kangaroo with the joey that the joey didn't, you know, get upset by, the adult kangaroo may get upset by. And again, if you don't know that much about kangaroos or you don't speak kangaroo language, then you're not going to see that coming, that, that change uh, in behavior where they no longer think you're just playing around. They think that you're actually a threat or threatening them. Yeah, when a joey when it goes from a joey to a boomer, that's when uh that's when things change. That's when the pecking order changes yeah. in the house. Yeah, yeah, and it can be quite violent. I mean, this is half I would say half myth, but there is a truth to it, which is the idea that kangaroos will try to drown you. So mm, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, yes. So there's this um I don't know what you'd call it, old wives tale, internet rumor that kangaroos will lure you into water so that they can drown you or lure a predator into water so they can drown you. Mm-hmm. The intention to like the luring part of like, you know, trying to get you to come in the water so that they can drown you, that's not true. Kangaroos don't they're as as um sort of pugnacious as they are, they don't have like a premeditated murder mindset where it's like I'm going to get you in the water yeah. so that I can drown you. But it is true that herbivores have a strategy where they go into water when they feel threatened. And this is not because they're planning on drowning you. This is because often predators maybe don't want to follow you into the water. Like, you know, it's a more difficult mm-hmm. terrain for a lot of predators. They're suddenly at a disadvantage because, you know, they, especially shorter predators, it's like now you don't have any terra firma, any ground to like be able to stabilize yourself against. So a predator yeah. might just give up at that point. And that's what the kangaroos do. But if a predator does follow them into the water, they're going to defend themselves. And for a kangaroo, this may mean drowning uh, that predator. Yeah, especially as bipeds. Uh, again, they can be pretty tall. So like, and I think their biggest predator might be dingoes, especially if they're like being hunted in packs. Yeah. So uh, again, 
like it's a natural prey response to like retreat into water. Plenty of animals do it. Buffalo likes it. Uh, but especially um, with kangaroos, like they'll just go to the deepest point. Now, if the animal happens to follow them into the water again, like you said, they'll use their forearms and try to shove them like underwater until they either retreat or they just end up drowning them. And that's why uh, since they've like had to deal with dingoes for so long, they're basically what I called like dog racist. So like anything <laughs> that looks like a dog, a kangaroo is probably going to attack or attempt to drown. So like if a kangaroo like runs into water, that's kind of its last stand because again it's not actively trying to like lure people in like because that's still bringing conflict to itself and no animal really likes that but uh they do have ways to like um defend themselves if they do get followed into the water but uh it does remind me of like this other myth where like uh they people would say that um well for the longest people thought the komodo dragon it was the bacteria in its mouth that uh killed its prey but really it's it's venom the problem is they do have like a septic bite and what do buffalo do if they've been attacked they'll like run into the water mm -hmm. um and then when you have like when you have this unclean unsanitary water around this open wound that's when they can develop like a bacterial infection and that's when these buffalo can have these slow painful deaths and uh that's how the komodo can end up tracking them especially with their sense of smell because they, they're like leather bloodhounds they can smell yeah. you at almost any point <laughs> in, in the island it's they're actually, they're legitimately terrifying. There's yeah. no point you can go where a Komodo won't eventually track you down. But um, I think that's where the whole bacteria thing came from. But like uh, most prey animals have like an inclination to like get into the water since most mammals have just the natural ability to swim. So yeah. they just feel safer in the water. That's what they do. And uh, it, it behooves you not to follow them in there. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, the Komodo dragon, when you put it like that, it reminds me of uh, the movie It Follows, just like this, this very like this slow and steady predator that's like inescapable. It's just tracking you. And as soon as you slow down, it's going to get you. It's so scary. It really is because that's almost exactly how they operate once like they uh, I think another thing is that people believe the Komodo will bite once and then let you get away and then track you. Not really, because obviously if one Komodo can track you, a whole bunch can. The thing is, they have the one bite. And if you do manage to escape, they have such a developed sense of smell that they can track you wherever to the point where people would say, like, uh, women that are in their menstrual cycle are, they should stay inside if they're anywhere in Komodo country because they really can get tracked by a Komodo dragon. And um, I don't know how often, I imagine it isn't too often, but there have been cases of Komodos, like, uh, digging out human graves and eating corpses inside. Yeah. They're like apex predators, right? Yeah. So literally, they can eat anything. Like, including each other, like, to the point where young Komodos will often hide in trees where adult Komodos can't get them because adult Komodos will eat baby Komodos, like, without hesitation. They're, like, truly, like, uh, they're pretty much like a relic from, like, back when we had dinosaurs and everything, especially <laughs> with, like, Megalania. Megalania was just basically yeah. a Komodo dragon, but, like, three times bigger. Yeah. So that's truly terrifying to think yeah, about. Yeah, that is, that is, there's, it's, it's how methodical they are how thorough they are they're like the scariest serial killer where they they can find you anywhere they have a great sense of smell and then they're so tenacious that they have the patience to continue after yeah you. it'll be days Ugh. days they'll come after you oh that's so scary well we're gonna take another quick break while i hyperventilate about komodo dragons but uh when we're when we get back we're gonna talk about actually one of the for me, it's one of the scariest animals, even though I also love it. Um, as I would well. agree. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yes. It's, I oh, love boy. them, but they terrify me in a way that I think no other animal really does. So we will talk about that right after the break. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So I finally got to see Nope. It's, it, it, I don't know, of all the horror movies, I feel like this one really scared me in a profound way that other ones don't really get at. I, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's because I love uh, evolutionary biology so much and there was so many references to evolutionary biology in it. And it's like, yeah. it like touches on my deepest, darkest fears. Honestly, it's the realism that really got me, especially, uh, I don't want to give away too much to anyone who hasn't watched it yet, but um, certain things in that movie, so the scariest scenes, those happened like in real life, especially with one of the animals we're going to talk about. Um, yes. Yeah, there have been some pretty horrific like attacks and uh, Ironically, you don't even see it in the movie, but like you get you see just how catastrophic that kind of thing can be. Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, yeah, the the whole it does touch upon and I, I, I don't think this will spoil anything, but it will it does touch upon the sort of um unconquerability of nature in certain ways where it's like we think that because we're you know, we have our human civilization and we, you know, kind of have insulated ourselves a lot. We feel so, sort of all powerful in a way, but when it comes down to it, we are not. And that is a little bit humbling and scary to think about. So the 
most terrifying animal, I think, which is also an animal that I really love, and that's uh, chimpanzees. So they are, they're adorable. They are amazing. They're our close relatives, and they, you know, are highly intelligent, and they're absolutely terrifying in a way that, I mean, it's like, I guess... It is because they're so close to being human that they're so scary because there's a certain like with when, you know, if a lion eats you, it's just being a lion. It's just trying to, you know, get its next meal. But a chimpanzee, like they can be kind of sadistic in a human way. And that is there's something very uncanny about that. So they are they they. They kind of scare me. Not, you know, like obviously, I, I still really love them uh, because they are they are incredible and incredible species. But they, you know, in the same way that I love humanity, but humans can be the scariest things in the world to me. That's well said. Uh, I def, me too. I love chimpanzees. I think they're really fascinating, intelligent, complex creatures. But uh, there's a couple like there's a few misconceptions about them that I feel like people kind of like overlook one is the whole uh, people believe there's like this myth that uh they're like five to eight times stronger than the, any given man uh it's more like 1.5 to two str- right. times stronger the thing is they have they're just riddled with extra fast twitch muscles so yes. they can react faster um they're they basically have four hands like their legs function just the same they're incredibly strong they have a really powerful bite force mm-hmm. um and number two is that uh, chimpanzees are predators. They're not like they're not like the herbivores that uh, gorillas are, that uh, orangutans are. Uh, they actively hunt other animals like colobus monkeys. And colobus monkeys aren't small. They're like pretty big if you've seen them in person. Uh, bush babies. They've been known to use spears to hunt Aww. bush babies. But um, <laughs> yeah, and they they hunt almost the exact same way. Well, not it is the exact same way we did. Like they have uh, drivers, animals that will like the chimps that will go in and like freak the animals out and yeah, chase them. And them then out. they have people. Yeah, they have got they have a uh, chimp station specifically the more experienced ones in the group that will ambush the animal and like just like cut off its cut it off its path. And once it catches it, they all like home in on it and just literally just tear it to shreds. But the part that really freaks me out about chimps, they will they can like commit calculated and coordinated acts of violence the same way humans do. Like uh, it's rare for it to be within a troop, but that can happen where uh, basically chimps are like people. They form alliances, they form friendships, but everything's calculated. So if they feel like one chimp might be a threat to it, especially in the hierarchy, because chimps are like male dominated, they can get they can uh, get good with some guys in the troop and they will jump this other chimp. And that's it's not, it might sound funny the way I'm describing it. But that's literally what will happen. There yeah. are videos. Obviously, they're pretty graphic, but. Well, of chimps just committing like acts of violence against their own, tearing them apart. And they don't just kill them. They know what's important to a chimpanzee. They know same thing with a human. They know what's important to a human. So it's almost like they draw out like the way they torture you. And that's why with chimp attack victims, the ones that survive, that is, they all have the same like injuries. They have a disfigured face. They're missing fingers, if not entire hands, their feet. They go for genitals because they know that that's important. They know what that does. They know the implication of losing that. So they like if you see like a, a, a rival chimp that was attacked by other chimps, it's usually missing its uh, genitalia. And that's just how uh, vicious these guys can be. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, okay. it, it reminds me of like human warfare. Like I'm trying to remember, I think it was some, God, it might've been some kind of Greek thing. I'm, I'm sure I'm getting, getting it wrong, but there was something where there was some, some ancient war and basically they, they cut off the enemy's genitals to like prove that they had, you know, defeated this enemy. And it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're exactly right, that it's the ability for these animals to kind of calculate things that is so unsettling. Like they, like you said, they can form these alliances. So male chimps are arranged in this dominance hierarchy with uh, dominant males sometimes violently enforcing their uh, authority. Uh, but sometimes the weaker males will form these alliances and to together they can take down a more dominant chimpanzee that otherwise they would not be able to take down. Uh, and so they can like basically form a coalition, decide to either murder or intimidate another chimpanzee and enact that plan. Um, but they're also like kind of fickle so they can backstab each other. So if a better opportunity arises, um, <laughs> they can totally turn on each other. I mean, like I'm sure the the drama that happens uh, in a chimpanzee troop is something that could be put on you know, HBO, it, it can get very, very messy, messy drama and also very violent drama. You know, they, they are they are highly social, so they're not constantly attacking each other. There can be harmony. There can be, you know, like they like to groom each other to sort of affirm social bonds. Um, but, you know, they can be quite violent and they can even be violent within the same group. Uh, the worst violence is like out of outside of their own group there can be these really really vicious i mean there it's basically wars like wars with other groups uh over territory just like humans do so i i would say it's like you know i don't think chimpanzees are evil but they are unnervingly like humans you know they they are so they're they're that kind of the capacity for violence and their motivations for it uh is similar to humans although i'd say humans we uh, did evolve to become more gentle, to become more uh, cooperative. Uh, and so that is, that's good news for us that, that we are not quite so um, grumpy, I would say, as chimpanzees are, which, which is good, which is probably one of the reasons that we have been so successful is that greater cooperation and more capacity for being gentle and less uh, being less prone to fly into a rage than uh, chimpanzees are. Yeah, I think that's probably the most eerie thing about them is just that they share 98% of their DNA with humans and you can see it. And I, I don't know if you, they're, they will, like, like I said, they'll commit these coordinated attacks against other troops. And if you see, if they, you see it happen, like they walk in single file lines and once they leave their territory, they go completely silent. Every once in a while, they'll stop and just listen for other chimps and try to gauge how many other chimps are in this rival group. And once the leader like says, gives the go ahead, they just go and attack. Uh, they'll take like sticks and like bang them against the base of trees. They'll scream and shout, trying to make themselves seem like there's more of them than there actually are. And they will specifically go after the children. And like, it mm. can get incredibly like grizzly to the point where they will tear apart like infant chimpanzees and then just cannibalize them and just, share them with the rest of the troop it's that part might not be too human or well, <laughs> humans now like they have theories about cavemen and what their diets consisted of i don't know if we can <laughs> talk about that here but 
it's you'll see it but like yeah that's the whole thing with chimps and the thing is chimps like like humans they have different personalities they're not all like raging psychopaths but like they are humans but without the social construct there is no jail there is no like there's just survival yeah and acts and just acting in your best interest like not selfishness it has like a negative connotation but like in this you have to be selfish like in the wild and that's what you see with chimps and the way they'll form these alliances the way they can backstab each other the way they can decide they don't like another chimpanzee like there was one one of the worst like chimp attacks that i've like seen like it was on youtube it it got like taken down a while ago but uh it was just it was it it was in uh within the troop too Mm -hmm. there was this one chimpanzee who just seemed to have the wrong like uh, type of personality. He was like very outgoing, very ambitious, but he also wasn't like, it's weird to say people person, but he wasn't great at forming alliances with the other chimps, but he was also acting like he was like higher up than he really mm. should have been. They didn't like that. And one day, maybe like 10 to 15 of them just converged on him and beat him down to the point where one of the older, like higher ranking males stepped in and like stopped it. But by the time they did, he was like mortally wounded. Yeah. He, it was clear he wasn't welcome in the troop. And like two days later, researchers found his body. And that's, <sighs> that's, that's not super like common within the troop, but like chimp on chimp homicide is like, it's a thing and it's real. it's ugly. Yeah. And when it happens to humans, you see just how strong and a motivated chimp can be. Yeah, that is, yeah, it's, I think so. So wild chimps don't tend to attack humans. They are pretty smart in terms of avoiding humans because we know we are bad news. Um, and, yeah. But uh, captive chimps are the ones who are the most dangerous. Even though, like, it, it's it's ironic, right? Because it's like if we've raised a chimpanzee and like quote unquote tamed it, it seems like it'd be safer than a wild chimpanzee. But it's not because it's actually bolder. Uh, because it's not afraid of humans, and it also has more opportunity to attack humans. So, so captive chimpanzees are actually quite a bit more dangerous than a wild chimpanzee because a wild chimpanzee is probably just going to like run away from you. It's not necessarily going to want to. I mean, the chimp attacks do happen in the wild, but uh, they they generally want to avoid people if they can, if they feel that they can. Um, but yeah, the, the scariest attacks have been from pet chimpanzees. And I say pet in sort of a, the loosest possible version of yeah. the term. I do not think that pretty much any primate really can be kept as a pet. Like, yeah, I mean, strictly speaking, people do it, but it's not, you know, it, it, they are not domesticated animals. Uh, their lives with a human aren't going to be be fulfilling for them and it is uh especially for something like a chimpanzee that's very smart has a lot of social needs and is very very strong that's like a recipe for disaster and and you mentioned something earlier that i think is really interesting so the the that chimpanzees no they're not like five times as strong as a human but they are pound for pound stronger than us and they're about one and a half times stronger than us um, even though they're only like, they're maybe about five feet tall, 150 centimeters tall, maybe 90 to 150 pounds. They're not that huge. Um, but you you mentioned those um, those fast twitch muscle fibers. So 
those are the more powerful muscle fibers, but they fatigue more quickly. So they are able to kind of go into this like berserker mode, whereas humans uh, don't have as much density of these fast twitch muscle fibers. Ours are actually a little better for endurance, which has actually suited us really well. It's been very successful for humans. Um, but yeah, we don't have as much of that like sort of instant access to this like incredible strength that uh, chimpanzees do. So uh, so yeah, when if it's a chimpanzee versus a human, um, often the chimpanzee will come on top um, and it is it is very scary. Like they are capable of a lot of damage. And yeah, it, it's, you know, like like you mentioned, I think when these famous cases of chimpanzees, like they, they can, you know, destroy your entire face, amputate your hands. Uh, it, it is, it, it's very, it's upsetting. And I think it is, it is a kind of harrowing reminder that these are not pets. These are not fun, goofy little like trainable, you know, circus pets that we can just have and feel this sort of entitlement over. Yeah, I feel like that's something people forget a lot. Like they are predators. Like owning a chimp is really no different from owning like a grizzly bear or right. a tiger. It is an incredibly intelligent predator that cannot be tamed. And I think the most famous chimp attack of all was definitely what happened with Charlotte Nash with yeah. Travis back in 2009. Uh people that don't know, uh there was this lady uh Sandra Nat um no, uh Sandra Harold. She had a chimpanzee Travis that she raised as a baby. Um just he, she raised him as a human, uh, taught him. He, he knew how to drive cars. He would drink out of wine glasses, he would drink actual wine, actually. Oh, no. Um, yeah, it's part of the family. But the thing with chimps is um, they are, in terms of strength, they are about, they might be the same or slightly inferior to humans up until about five years old. Once they start to hit, like, puberty, yeah. especially the males, that's when things change. They become a whole lot stronger. Their attitude changes because around that time, They'd probably be fighting for like their place in a hierarchy in a troop. Uh, that's when they're like, um, there's that's when their sexual maturity hits. Um, so with Travis, he was raised around humans his entire life, never saw another chimp. So he's not engaging in any of those like natural instincts that he still has. He obviously, there's no female chimp for Travis. And uh, eventually, unfortunately, uh, Sandra, his owner's uh, husband, passed away. Uh, he was affected by that Travis. He exhibited signs that he was like depressed and like mm -hmm. grieving. But uh, Sandra was also depressed and she couldn't really take care of Travis mm. the way that uh, she was before. Also, he had some incidents outside where people believed it wasn't safe for him for, to really be outside. Although since he was around and everyone was familiar with him, nobody thought to have him taken away. So now he was confined to the house. Mm. After seeing, after being allowed to be outside, he was confined into the house. He was well overweight. Um, eventually that he was put on Xanax yeah. to deal with like his, uh, yeah, uh, uh, emotional issues that he had. It was, it was a matter of time and like that, like he was going to, it was going to happen eventually. And unfortunately it happened with, uh, with, uh, Charlotte Nash in like the worst possible way. But like with chimps, they have two ways of really hurting you. One is like, well, I guess three, but so one would be just bludgeoning you with their arms. And again, they're Ouch. so much stronger than people. So like it, it, it feels like imagine somebody hitting you full force, like not holding back at all with their like forearm or their elbows or like kicking you. And that's like multiplied because this chimp might actually be trying to kill you. Yeah. Two is that they'll bite, they'll bite at the yeah. face. They have powerful 
uh, again, they're predators. They're not just herbivores. So they have teeth designed to like tear through flesh and they'll do that. They go for the face because they know that's how to really inflict damage. Sometimes they'll go out of their way to gouge your eyes out. Uh, and then three would be they have hands and they'll just yeah. tear at you. Yeah. With chimps, it's like like you said, you made a good point that chimps, they have uh, all the muscles, fast switch muscles, but they're not really built for endurance. You can see that in the differences in how we hunt. We were long distance runners. That's so we right, would just yeah. chase prey. And no matter how far it would run, eventually we would catch up. It would get exhausted and then we would hunt them. Chimps focus all their energy into one like explosive like charge to like catch their uh, their prey off guard. Uh, so with chimps, a lot of times they'll attack you and then kind of just rest a little bit while you're there. And then um, especially if it's a, if it's a group um, attack, one chimp will like make this alarm call and they'll like kind of just initiate it all over again. Yeah. So like these chimp attacks can um, if they're, it's not put down, it can last a very long time where it's not killing you, but it's like slowly chipping away at you, yeah. <laughs> uh, taking time to like it's it's just it's truly awful. And it's like. um. Yeah, it's it, it's it's never pretty when the chimp's involved. And for yeah. the chimp, it's like a miserable way to live, you know, yeah, for something that intelligent. Like that's another conversation you can have about whether chimps Absolutely. really can be in captivity. It's an animal that intelligent that has a level of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's like behind a cage or like it lives a certain way and it sees people, it interacts with people, but it's like from behind the glass, it's there prob there's probably a lot going on in its head to the point where like now they, they're just actively like trying to act out or they're right. engaging in like malicious like acts because that's kind of what boredom can do. Yeah. And that's why like animals in captivity are much more dangerous than ones in the wild. Like or orcas are the best example. Wild mm -hmm. orca, oh, yeah, the dominant apex predator like of the <laughs> yeah. world, like not just the ocean of the world, never killed a human in the wild, multiple like um kills like in captivity. Yeah. Same thing with tigers. Most tiger deaths these days well i guess that might not be true but like uh there's a high density of tigers in america i think there's more tigers in america than in the rest of the world like combined that's yeah. where like most of the attacks it's occur so, especially in so messed up isn't it yeah. like more captive tigers it really is than yeah than they exist in the wild yeah i mean it is i think it's also i think that's part of the reason i mean that i feel there that it's it's not just fear when it comes to chimpanzees. There's something deeply unsettling about it. And I think it's the empathy that I feel for them because, you know, they have like animals have minds. Uh, chimpanzees have a very, very intelligent mind. And so they can have, you know, mental health um, needs. And if those mental health needs aren't met, they can suffer mentally. And then but on top of that, they don't have the same moral reasoning that humans have and so uh, a chimpanzee who is suffering mentally like I, I think it sounds like Travis was um, you know they can act in a way that is you know basically an expression of their suffering or their anger or whatever but they don't necessarily understand exactly what they're doing so they don't necessarily have the the moral reasoning of thinking like oh I'm you know I'm gonna like do something bad to this person or, or something. They don't necessarily, you know, we, we don't know how, uh, obviously we can't step into the consciousness of a chimpanzee, so we don't know exactly what they're thinking, but I don't think that they have the same metacognition that a human would. And yeah. so there's something like, I, I don't know, I mean, I can't say anymore without spoiling the movie Nope, but I would say 
if you have a capacity for watching horror movies and this idea of, you know, of uh, having empathy for an animal, that's also kind of scary. Like you should definitely watch the movie. But it's yeah, it, it is. I think it, it it's such a it's such an important thing to respect animals in terms of not just in terms of how they can be dangerous towards us, but also in terms of like their their emotional needs, their emotional state. And that an animal who does something that's terrifying to us, like mauling a person, like, well, let's find out why they did that. I'm not blaming the person who was mauled necessarily, but there is a problem, I think, when we, um, when we try to, when we have sort of the hubris to think that we can incorporate wild animals neatly into our human lifestyles that I think we need to kind of, uh, kind of face and, and realize that it's not a wild animal is intelligent. They have a mind, they have emotions, but they aren't necessarily, they're not, you know, little furry humans that we can like, you know, bring into our, our society and then like have, per, you know, have them perform tricks for us and, you know, ha have as a form of entertainment. Yeah. I really think it just goes back to people just placing human traits on animals. And a lot of times people will do that to kind of rationalize exploiting them, whether it's exploiting them as a house pet that has no business being there, or as in Travis's case, he was used in commercials, TV mm -hmm. shows, mm -hmm. things like that. These animals don't really have the understanding that you do. So like if an animal's upset and like you're reacting in a certain way, it's not going to rationalize that. Okay. It's, you know what I mean? So like, that's how these attacks can happen. Yeah. Um, so a big example that I like to use, are you familiar with Grizzly Man? Yes. Ooh, yes, I am. Timothy Treadwell. Oof. Yeah. So basically, uh, the important thing is he wasn't like a zoologist or a biologist or anything. I think he was like a, a failed actor or something. He mm. went down like a bad path. One of his friends introduced him to uh, the landscape of, I believe it was Alaska. He went to Alaska and he witnessed brown bears. And it was kind of like this uh, epiphany that he had that he wanted to study these bears, which is great. But um, the, the way he went about it, he would... Uh, I think it was about 13 years that he would just go camp out in the Alaska wilderness. He would get really close to these bears and he claimed to like have their trust that they had an understanding. And again, you can't really, you can't tame a predator. You never, you never can, mm -mm. but he got away with it for so long that people thought there was some truth to like what he was doing. And I will give him credit for, he was, he actively tried to be an advocate for these bears, trying to have people see them as other than like killing machines. Um, but eventually that's kind of, that went like, he went so far in that direction that he kind of like did a 360 and it like, kind of like, uh, made it worse for them. So basically like he started getting cocky with these bears. He was getting yeah. really close to bear cubs, uh, really yeah. close to them around. Um, I think that's what, when it happened. So like bears, obviously they have to hibernate. So they have to, they have to, uh, basically go on all, they pretty much bulk yeah. for the most part. They bulk work. <laughs> They take in as many calories as possible. Obviously, resources, the competition for resources gets really intense. That's like the worst time to be around, like in bear territory, especially if it's around males. Uh, so he went around that time, right? The, the maybe two to three months before hibernation, where they're at their most like uh, irritable when oh, people no. told him not to. Yeah. Not only that, like, but he also he he placed his tent around a well-known bear trail. To the oh point God. where if a bear wanted to access like uh, it was like a stream where they can get salmon, 
it would have to walk right past his tent. Oh, I, I think he even brought his girlfriend with him. Yeah, and she yeah, was like afraid of him. But he's been he had been doing it for like 13 years. I guess she trusted him. So it was uh I remember the date. It was October 5th. I think he uh sent like either a message or a call, whatever he said uh, to a friend talking about the landscape. He was like, yeah, the bears are great. Uh, they're acting a little bit weird, but I'm going to stay here anyway. Oh, uh, this is amazing. The very next day, they found their bodies half eaten. And the uh, yeah. worst part was right when the attack started, uh, a camera was rolling. Yeah. Uh, the lens was on, but you can still hear it. So like, there was this six-minute audio of this man being eaten alive by a grizzly bear that I can't remember if it was a bear that he actually knew or if it was just some I random think it bear. Was, I think but it was a bear he was not as familiar with, but he still tried mm. to approach it, um, which was, an, it was yet another yeah. sort of mistake he made among many. Yeah, it was among exactly. And uh, yeah, a six-minute audio of him just slowly, because that, that's the okay. thing with bears. Like big cats, they'll kill their prey, uh, usually take it somewhere where they don't have to worry about competition from other predators. Uh, Animals like bears, like wild dogs, hyenas, they just tear into you, like whether you're alive or not. And that's yeah. what happened. Like the bear incapacitated him and just ate him. And his girl was there. She's screaming. So what happens next? The bear comes after her. Yeah. And um, the audio never was released. People no. say they've heard it. They've heard uh, reenactments. Reenactments no, yeah. based on like. The yeah, because I think didn't wasn't it Werner Herzog who like listened to the audio exactly. and decided because like he was listening to it for the family to de to try to determine whether they should hear it or not and he was like nobody should hear this it's it's like it's like never this would be too traumatizing so it's never been thankfully you know it's never been released I, I think that's that's a merciful thing for the family not to not to have that out there but god yeah it, it's I I remember when I read about that I had nightmares that I was like listening to the audio but of course it, it doesn't exist but ugh, the, the yeah, imagination yeah. can can fill in the blanks in a very terrifying way yeah. I'm not sure if this was true but I heard a report saying that he recanted saying that he kind of wished that he had released it just to like have people understand just what bears are capable mm. of because I feel like people still haven't really learned um but ultimately, like, and this is where I kind of have to take back the credit I gave him. He said he tried to be an advocate for these bears. All he did was, like, a, he got himself, like, killed by a bear. Yeah. So, And what happens to the bear? The, they had to hunt the bear down, kill it, and now people are hearing about this horrific bear attack right. that happened. Yeah, because, only gonna like, reaffirm, yeah. you know? Yeah, Yeah, because once a bear, like, kills a human, they, they it's like, well, you, you the bear can't see humans as a source of food and go and hunt someone else down. So then they have to go and euthanize it. And it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's bad, bad news all around. I mean, it's such a horrifying thing to happen to anyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, we, we, I think it is this like sense of we're so insulated as humans because we've protected ourselves with our society, with, with all of our sort of innovations and in our intelligence that, um, you know, I think that sometimes that can lend itself to this idea that we are not prey anymore. We're not, we're not in danger, you know, we're not, you know, nothing could view us as prey, right? Because we're humans. We're like on top of the food chain. And that is not, not true at all. Yeah. And whether it's with Travis or uh, the bear or with Siegfried and Roy and their tiger, mm -hmm. Montecor, it's just, uh, there's like a level of arrogance that some people can get where they feel like, they have complete control over this wild animal. When 
really it's like we are where we are at because of intelligence mostly yeah. because of intelligence uh, there's obviously physical attributes that we have like being able to run for a really long period of time being able to i think we might be one of the no we are we we can throw things with accuracy that other animals yeah. just don't have just based on like us having thumbs and hands and the way our shoulders are placed but ultimately like one-on-one we can't do anything with these predators, right. especially something like a bear or a tiger or a chimpanzee, things that hunt for a living, yeah. you know? So there's like, it, you, you can raise them as a baby. You can try to like, you can't, they're not human though. And yeah. all it takes is like one moment of them reverting back to their predatory instincts. It doesn't even have to be a predator, but just that's when like things can happen. And ultimately that animal gets put down because of it. Exactly. And our language doesn't align with them. Like for chimps, like with humans, eye contact and smiling is a nice thing. It's, you know, showing the other person like, hey, I'm friendly. How's it going? If you do that to a chimp, you're basically telling it like, hey, you know, like you, man, like and and it's like a confrontation. It's like eye contact and showing your teeth is very confrontational for chimpanzees. So like you can't walk up to a chimpanzee, act like a human and have it understand what you're trying to say, what your what your body language means, because it can mean something very different. And I think in cases where we successfully have pets, like with dogs and cats, these are cases, and I mean, especially for dogs, we have selected over thousands and thousands of years and co-evolved with them to the point where our styles of communication can interlock. So like we can communicate with a dog. When we see a dog, we... Although sometimes people can mistake body language of dogs for sure. A lot of the dog's body language is readable by us and they can actually read our body language fairly well. They can read our facial expressions, our intonation. Uh, So it's like, this is why dogs and and also cats, you know, are quite good pets. Whereas something like a chimpanzee, a grizzly bear, a kangaroo, these, you know, they can't really, you know, they can only be tamed in as much they can be habituated to humans, but they can't really be tamed. They can't. They are not pets. Uh, and, you know, we, we can't make them into pets unless we had some kind of like, you know, again, tried to uh, selectively breed them over thousands and thousands of years, which I, I don't see the point in doing that either. Yeah. My favorite line in Nope, the entire movie, no spoiler. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's. Um, they said something about you can't tame a predator. The best you can do is enter an agreement with one. Right. And I think that's something that uh, a lot of people forget. Yeah. And that's when like these incidents happen. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Man. I, I, yeah. I think it's it is such a good movie for evolutionary biologists, but it's also such nightmare fuel because like all of it, it's just because they did their research for that movie. I can really tell. So it's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very it's very good, but because they were so thorough with the research and it is so realistic, that is, it it's it makes it quite scary. <laughs> oh, definitely. So, um, before we go, uh, at the end of every episode, I like to play a little game called uh, Guess Who's Squawking. It's a mystery animal sound game. Uh, every week, I play a mystery animal sound. Now, it's called Guess Who's Squawking, but it can be any animal in the world, not necessarily a bird, uh, any animal. Uh, and uh, you, the listener, and you, the guest, try to guess who is squawking. So uh, last week's hint was there's nothing deadly or sinful about this cutie. Uh, and this is a sound I honestly had no idea this is what this animal sounded like until I Googled it. Uh, so here it is. 
Guess who's making that sound? Where have I heard this before? Is it uh do I get hints? Uh well the hint is there's nothing deadly or sinful about this cutie. Um, do you need any any more like you can ask me a question and I can answer. Is it a herbivore? It is, yes. Not domesticated, is it? No. Uh can I hear it again? Yes, you can. I just is it a baby sloth? Ah, it is. Good job. Uh, you are you are like an encyclopedia for animal knowledge, so I'm not surprised that you got this. But yes, I was wondering where I heard that from. There's compilations of like baby sloths. Yes. It's like it's like free serotonin. I love it. I, I recommend it. Anyone watching this, <laughs> just YouTube baby sloths. Baby just sloth. go down the rabbit hole. Feel it, good about yourself. It is eye and ear medicine uh, for the soul. It's wonderful. Yes, I had no idea this is what they sounded like until I just out of curiosity googled like, hey, what does sloth sound like? These are baby two-toed sloths. They are sloths found in Central and South America. I don't believe the adults make these sounds. I think this is just the babies because they are bleeding for uh, their mothers. So they spend their first nine months of lives uh, constantly attached to their mothers. And so when they're at like a rescue uh, rehabilitation animal center, they will often be given teddy bears. <laughs> so they have something to hold on to to comfort them, which is Really adorable, also a little sad. Um, but yes, they will make this bleating noise until somebody picks them up uh, or they get to cuddle a teddy bear, which is adorable and makes me want to cry. And that is your wholesome fact for the week. <laughs> after, this, for hugs. after this show where we talked about animals eating your face, uh, adorable baby sloth. So yeah, there you go. The shot and then the chaser. Congratulations to Joey P, Lily H, and Grant W, the three fastest to correctly guess sloth. Although maybe I should have rewarded the three slowest guessers, given that, you know, it's a sloth. Anyways. If I can make a suggestion. Next one should be uh, koalas. Like, mm. uh, ask them, play play what they sound like and then <laughs> see if they can guess it. Because if, if they've never heard it before, they will never in a million years guess that. The, the hauntingly angry banshee screaming of a koala yes they are they are they're interesting i understand why people like why australians have the the drop bear mythos uh just based on uh when koalas are screaming angrily i was gonna say there's like a hundred different types of cryptids in australia and i'm so sure half of them originated from koalas yeah, being loud it's koalas yeah absolutely it's like how Probably all the cryptids in the U.S. are either sandhill cranes or uh, coyotes with mange. And that's it. Like all your I, cryptids. I was so disappointed. I remember as like in like seventh grade, I saw that video that went viral at the, well, I guess at the time of like that chupacabra. Mm -hmm. Then I revisited it because I randomly just was curious about it 10 years later. And I was like, oh, wait, it's, it's a coyote. Coyote with mange. That's, it's always a coyote with mange. Uh, pretty anticlimactic. Yeah. yeah. Also, sometimes listeners send me in pictures of like, is this like, what species is this? Like, I found this and it looks like some kind of, you know, novel species in North America. And it's like, it's either a coyote with mange, maybe a fox with mange. When an animal gets mange and it messes up their fur, it can make them like almost unrecognizable and look very, very creepy. But unfortunately, it's just, you know, just a sick animal. It's nothing scary or creepy. It's just sad. Um, but uh, on to this week's mystery animal sound. The hint is they sound like drunks on land and alien spaceships in the sea, but they're always chill. Mm. 
That's them on land. I if it's the obvious. Oh, that's on land. Okay. So now this is them under the water. I have actually stopped me on this one. So they're amphibious then. Yes, they live both. They spend time both on the land and under the water. Mammalian? It's a mammal? They are mammals, yes. So that's another free hint. Because the obvious one would be whales, but then you said on land, so. Mm -hmm. Huh. Interesting. Uh, okay. It's uh, some type of seal, sea lion. I'm going to mm -hmm. say. Oh, is it a. It is. You are absolutely correct. Okay. Okay. So, oh, okay. That makes. Because that's. Okay. I see. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So uh, you'll, the listeners out there, you'll have heard a cute little duck quack over what uh, Mamadou said, but he did guess it correctly. And you'll have a chance to guess it. If you think you know the answer, uh, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. Uh, but I am very, very impressed by your animal sound guessing abilities. I don't think I could have done that. Thank you. Uh, took a couple guesses and uh, a lot of hints, but uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely an uh, interesting one, Nick. You would have to hear it before to like guess that. Like I would yes. not have been able to guess that just blind. Yeah. No, no. I and like I uh I had a listener from uh, I think it was Ferris Jaber who came on and recommended this uh animal noise as uh one that is is quite strange, very otherworldly. It sounds like underwater they sound like aliens, like alien spaceships. It, it's it's uh kind of haunting in a way oh it definitely is uh i don't know if i'm allowed to say this part so i guess you could like leave this out but um it's actually uh they use that to like find like their little like breathing holes because they mm. can like freeze oh actually, maybe i should well basically they use them to find breathing holes that they might not have access to because of where they live so it's like i can't describe it further without giving it away you you, you just have to go see it on the <laughs> next show and then YouTube it because it is freaky. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I, I think this is a hard enough sound that getting some more hints is definitely fair. Um, but yes, it is. It's it, it, it's it's such an unexpected sound. Also, I'll say for such a cute animal <laughs> where it sounds like a, yeah. there's a there's there's a haunted ocean. But then you see them. And it's like, oh, you're just a little cutie, aren't you? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate having you on. You are an incredible font of animal wisdom. Uh, and I think people, if you like this podcast, you will definitely like Mamadou's uh, TikTok. Uh, he's also got a book out called um, 100 Animals That Can End You. Um, so if you liked the topic of this episode, you will definitely like that book. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on TikTok at uh, MGI underscore 97. They can find me on Instagram at the exact same username. I uh, also have a YouTube channel. Realizing not a lot of people know that, uh, or at least not as many people that know me from TikTok or Instagram, but I do have a YouTube channel where I make longer form content. It's casual, geographic. And uh, yeah, those are that's pretty much the big three, TikTok, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for uh, reaching out to me, by the way. This is all so stoked to be like invited here. 
I'm so happy to have you on. This was this is wonderful. This is so fun. Uh, and thanks, you guys, for listening to the show. If you're enjoying it, uh, do leave a rating or review. I read all the reviews. I appreciate all the ratings. And as always, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you, if you think you know this week's mystery animal sound or you have any questions, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at creaturefeatpod. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. Uh, and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more shows like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.